Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The 90s was a decade bookended by Anita Hill and Monica Lewinsky. It gave us MTV's boxers or briefs moment, popularized the concept of the MILF, and spawned the first ever sex tape, one stolen from the home of Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. It was an era that inspired a decade of boob jobs, popularized restaurants like Hooters, and gave us Girls Gone Wild. But what did all of those things really teach us about love and sex back then and now? We ask a sex expert. In 2019, Gwyneth Paltrow, did not know the word vulva. She did not know that her vulva was not her vagina, which as I say in Come As You Are, calling your vulva your vagina is like calling your face your throat. I'm Jessica Bennett. And I'm Susie Vanikaram. And this is In Retrospect, where each week we revisit a cultural moment from the past that shaped us. And that we just can't stop thinking about. Today we're joined by sex educator and best-selling author, Emily Nagoski. Her new book, Come Together, is out this month. So I've listened to your podcast, and I know that on your podcast, which I think was a limited run, mm-hmm. you talked about how, you know, you weren't that into pop culture as a young teen. But in fact, I love that on one of my all-time favorite shows, Sex Education, your book actually makes an appearance, <laughs> which was huge. For me, anyway. Yeah, I found out about that because everyone sent me the little like clip of it happening. But we don't have Netflix. That's not a flex. We have like lots and <laughs> lots of everything. We just don't happen to have. Netflix, so you've watched so it. I've never seen the show. Never, ever. Not even your episode. Nope. Wow. I've seen like the five seconds of so funny the person saying you should read Come As You Are. I mean, I feel like they do an amazing job of breaking down some taboos and talking openly about sexuality, though, when I was talking to my therapist about you (laughs) yesterday in our session, as happens, she was like, well, okay, but in the first season of Sex Education, they really confused the vagina and the vulva, which I had totally missed. So what do they do well? What makes you just feel like, oh, this is better than it has been in the past? I guess I like that it doesn't feel so heavy handed, like sexuality is just a part. I mean, that's the plot of the show, but they're not 
making it like they're forcing it down your throat or trying to teach you. And I guess one of the things I remember from growing up in the 90s, which is what we're here to talk about today, is that everyone was portrayed, or at least the teenagers I watched on television and movies, seemed to be portrayed as these like sex-hungry maniacs where that was absolutely the only thing that they could think about. <laughs> and I'm curious if you had that experience too. What were you consuming in the 90s? I mean, what was I consuming in the 90s? I I have never been anyone's target audience. <laughs> we literally didn't even have cable television. I didn't have cable television until I was in college. I didn't either. So, so for, for it's I, I didn't see any of the things that people saw. What are the things you saw that other people didn't see? I mean, I watched a lot of PBS. Okay. When we finally did get the beginnings of cable in 1993-ish, I watched a lot of Inside the Actors Studio. Okay. But I read a lot. So my primary sex education came from a combination of women's magazines, especially Glamour magazine, and romance novels. Okay. And what did those teach you? So I remember very distinctly reading an article in Glamour magazine where I learned that men really like it when women appear to be enjoying themselves. And uh -huh. so you should make a lot of noise and you should touch yourself, like touch your own breasts and your own body. Mm -hmm. And you should say how much you like it because men really love it when women appear to be enjoying themselves. So by the time I got to sexual relationships, my assumption was that it was my job to perform pleasure. Mm-hmm. Without any reference to whether or not something actually felt pleasurable. Right, right, right. It took some time for me to recognize that I was doing the stuff that they do in romance novels, right? So basically there's a script. You start with the face stuff, boob stuff. You follow the bases. You get to the genitals. Your genitals get hungry to have something inside them. Mm -hmm. Your knees fall apart. You're, duh, you want penetration and penetration <laughs> happens. And you spiral upwards enveloped in a cloud of ecstasy. <laughs> so exactly how it happens. It turns out that's not how it happens. I was shocked to discover. So I was doing the things that the romance novels told me I was supposed to do in terms of behavior. I was acting like a person who enjoyed those things. And within about six months, I started getting really clear that there was a very big difference between the things I was doing that I was told were pleasurable and the things that actually were pleasurable. I got to college in 1995. And one of the very first things I did was ride my bike to the library and go to the sex section mm -hmm. and read the height report. Ah, It took me three or four days, but I read as much of it was there. There were literally pages cut out with scissors. Really? What yeah. school was this? University of Delaware. Okay. Born and raised in Delaware, my one true claim to fame is that uh, Jill Biden was my 10th grade English teacher. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, Delaware's a very small state. Amazing. <laughs> so there's only one copy of the Height Report. Many, like a big chunk of pages had been cut out. Notice that I went back to the library over and over to keep reading this very large book because I was too embarrassed to check it out. How did you know about the Height Report? I didn't. I just looked for the largest book in the sex section. Okay, okay. And turns out everyone else had done that, too. Uh, somebody had taken a bunch of pages with them. Okay, and to back up for a moment, you are a sex educator, but you at this point, I don't think, knew that you wanted to be a sex educator. Not at all. You know, I was a big nerd. By the time I got to college, all I knew was that I wanted to go to grad school for something. 
And I thought, oh, you need volunteer work on your resume so that you look like a good candidate for graduate school. Okay. And a guy living on my floor in my residence hall was pre-med and he said, oh, come be a peer health educator with me. So you go into residence halls and talk about like all kinds of health. Yeah. That includes sexual health, which is mostly condoms, contraception and consent. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I like health. Why not? So I applied and I got accepted and I got trained to be a health educator for my fellow undergraduates. At the exact same time that I was being trained to be a sex educator, my very first year in undergrad, 1995-96, I got into my first sexual relationship, which ended up being abusive. He became my stalker and I had to call the police and it was very bad news. So at the same time that I was having my first experience Mm -hmm. in that kind of relationship, in any kind of sexual relationship with someone who isn't me, I was also learning all this stuff about sexual communication and sexual health and how periods work and the whole enchilada. So I feel like it was an incredible privilege to be learning what it's supposed to be like while I am doing it. I mean, I made every mistake. I did everything wrong. Like what? Unlike the students I taught when I was teaching undergrad, Uh I didn't know as an undergrad that your early relationships are very likely to recapitulate the dynamic of your family of origin. I didn't know that. As a child, your body learns what love looks and feels like. Mm. So if you think back to what your family was like when you're, you know, approximately four years old, the relationships of the adults around you when you're four, would you love your life if those were similar to the relationships you have as an adult? No. If you answer yes to that (laughs) question, then your earliest relationships are probably going to be kind of great. Okay. Okay. Oh, interesting. I did not. My early relationships were not kind of great. Okay, so this is 95. What was happening politically in sex education? Like, set the scene a little bit for me from your expert perch about what was happening in the culture then around sex. I mean, we were just coming out of the AIDS crisis. Effective medication for controlling HIV were brand new which means that everyone was really eager to forget Mm. as soon as they possibly could. I didn't know the term GLBT on my campus in 1995. It was GLBT, which it would soon change to LGBT in honor of the role that the lesbian community played in caring for the gay community who were much more heavily impacted by the AIDS crisis. So I heard lesbian and heard bisexual for the first time Mm -hmm. in 1995 because it was on college campuses that those conversations were happening. I had nothing of that in my high school or junior high sex education. I did get enough sex education in Delaware, Mm -hmm. a comparatively progressive state. In the eighth grade, I learned that HIV could not be transmitted through a drinking straw or by sharing a can of soda or by sitting on a toilet seat which was great. I remember correcting my grandmother who wanted us to squat over public toilets so that we didn't get AIDS. Oh, wow. And like I could tell her because I had had some sex education. She learned it. Okay. That you can't get HIV that way. She did not believe me. Okay. Well. But she was my grandmother. She was raised in the depression and change is slow. To what extent did you learn about your own body or about women's sexuality, if at all? in your sex education courses? I feel sure that I learned more than most people do because I was really curious without knowing why I was curious. But in the sixth grade, there was a like 
a book giveaway of like, here are all these textbooks we're no longer using. If you want to take these textbooks, children, feel free. And I took all of the reproductive health books. You did. I could get my hands on. I was very interested. So there were a lot of signs of your future profession. You just didn't know them yet. I had no idea why I was interested, but it was all biology. It was all the menstrual cycle and nocturnal emissions, as it always is. Uh-huh. In the sixth grade, we got divided by group. I had already started having my period by the time we had that. So I was just like, none of this is describing what it's actually like. And what was happening politically at the time? Like, I just keep thinking about, OK, right. so the 90s was bookended by the Clarence Thomas hearings, um, which are typically referred to as the Anita Hill hearings. But he was the one that was being questioned. And then the Bill Clinton, Monica yes. Lewinsky right. scandal, which was in 98 and which was, I think, for me, a real sex education. I specifically remember reading the Star Report in high school, sort of like sneaking behind the lockers and like okay, looking well, at different that's lines. Nerdy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Seattle in the 90s, man. So, yeah, we were reading the Star Report, but like the cigar. I mean, I that's like I learned that Yes, that was your hype report. And yes, exactly. Yeah. Learning that a cigar could be inserted into a vagina and people might think that was a sexy thing to do. Right. And I think that I only know this because I then later profiled Monica Lewinsky and I've done a lot of research on it. Cigar sales went through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so you know how you're talking about how the sort of representation of teenagers in the movies was that uh, teenagers were all super horny? Yes. I think of the 90s as sort of the transition from second to third wave feminism. Mm -hmm. And there was this sort of kludging around sexuality, which never really got resolved in second wave feminism. There were the sex wars and like we never really figured out a position Mm -hmm. to have about sex as like a good or a bad thing. Porn as a good or a bad thing. Right. I have many things to say, but I think what happened in the 90s is that popular culture took the idea that sex could be a good thing for women. It took the sort of sexual revolution as far as it had gone so far and said, "Okay, so teenage girls are just as horny and wacky as teenage boys, Mm -hmm. because in order for men and women to be equal, women had to be like men. And so the way teenage girl sexuality got represented in the media was as if it were the same as every teenage boy's fantasy, which is to say just the same as theirs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Easy, fast, vaginally oriented. American Pie gets talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. Thank the good Lord for Eugene Levy. But so the flute scene. Okay, please, because, okay, this came out in 1989, so I was a junior in high school. We all obviously watched it. People were talking about it. The pie scene, like he masturbates with the pie. Like everyone now yeah. knows this. I feel like so many things came out of this movie, including the popularization of the term MILF, which was Stifler's mom. That I did not realize. I mean, I don't think the term originated there, but like that's when I learned it and it was played by Jennifer Coolidge. And so anyway, that's another thing that came out of that. But right. I was in the orchestra. I played the violin. And there is the scene in American Pie where we learn that the flute player has masturbated with her flute. Did she masturbate with it? Because here's what I remember her saying is that she put her flute in her vagina. Mm, Interesting. Yeah, actually, fair point. 
And as a sex educator, I hear that and I do not hear masturbation. I hear experimentation with a like huh. phallus shaped object yeah. when I know that only very roughly 10% of people with vaginas masturbate with vaginal penetration. So interesting. See, that's so the I think kind she was just like messing around. We need. Yeah, she was messing around. But of course, that then became the thing that la- like I could never go to orchestra again with- without like all of the guys snickering every time one of the women would play the flute. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course, because the whole function of that story is not to talk about her sexual experience or her sexual pleasure, but to create a visual image for the boys to masturbate to. I mean, just like what I learned from Glamour magazine in the 90s, women's sexual self-expression exists for the pleasure of men. I was just talking to one of my editors about Glamour. I was working on a piece about Britney Spears and hair, (laughs) the politics of hair, um, because she talks in her new book about thrashing her hair and when she shaved her head and how it made her ugly. And for the first time in her life, she was not sexualized. But we were talking about remembering some of those sex tips that we learned from magazines like Glamour, where they would tell you to like use your hair during the sex act, like either twirl it or like, you know, run it down a guy's chest or something, which is just so hilarious to think about now. But back then we didn't have the knowledge or experience to know that that was anything but a weird thing that Glamour had made up. I mean, I guess like if you're into that, go for it. But But the brushing of the hair, like your partner's body might respond well to the sensation of your hair brushing against them under the right circumstances. It's not the same as like play with your hair, perform your hair for the other person to witness. Right. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. This is one of the things that I find so refreshing about your work is that you take these commonly held assumptions or things that we have heard 
And then you basically debunk them or unravel them to reveal what is actually going on. It's one of the reasons why even now when I have lots of different channels for viewing pop culture, mm-hmm. kind of don't watch a lot of it because when it involves sex, like the thing goes off in my head and I have to be like, that, that's not how that works. Yeah, it's like we need the annotations from you while we are watching the thing. Yeah, like P.S., this is fine. And also just know that it's actually really rare for a person to be able to go instantaneously from feeling very stressed out to feeling very turned on. Mm. For most people, that's not how it works. What are the things that you remember consuming in the 90s that made you think twice or as an adult, you realize that "Mm, that's actually not an accurate representation? There's something about Mary. Oh, Jesus. What bothered you about that one? Yeah. So the thing from There's Something About Mary is that Cameron Diaz uses ejaculate that is dangling off of. (laughs) She's like, oh, it's hair gel. And she puts it in her hair. Yeah. Anyone who is actually touched touched any ejaculate knows that it just does not bear any relationship to the texture of hair gel like it's a silly idea but as a nerd (laughs) i just i just find it totally unbelievable and it reflects negatively on the intelligence of cameron diaz's character that she could possibly mistake the texture of ejaculate for the texture of hair gel and also can she not smell it like it doesn't smell like hair gel there's no hair gel that is ejaculate scented fresh scent (laughs) yeah wait you mentioned eugene levy earlier oh yeah do you have some fun fact about eugene levy and american pie well so from what i've heard he was initially not very interested in playing the father and okay he worked with them pretty intensively to shape the character into what like a father might actually do. And I love the way as a dad, he does not play into like, yeah, son, go get Mm. as much of that pussy as you can get. Mm -hmm. But he also doesn't dismiss his son's sexuality. He wants to protect him from the inevitable embarrassments of being a teenage boy. Like, we'll just have to tell your mother we ate the whole thing. Right. And like brings him porn, which, you know what, for the mid- 90s fairly progressive to be like here yeah here it is this is a normal part of life this is hustler and this is a much more exotic magazine are there common sex myths that you still come across today i I don't think are you teaching at the moment but i know that you are generally teaching and so i'm sure that this comes up in class yeah so over the last few since the pandemic in particular i have spent more time training professionals, training therapists. And it is sometimes distressing how many of the same misunderstandings and myths stay in their minds as I meet within college students. Several years ago, I talked to a woman who was recently out of college. She came to a talk and she said, so this thing I learned in high school was that If you masturbate, if you teach yourself how to have an orgasm by yourself, you won't be able to have an orgasm with a partner. And she's like a full grown adult Mm -hmm. and is asking this question. And I was like, yeah, that's the opposite of true, actually. If as a young person, you 
learn how orgasm works in your body. That means you know how orgasm works in your body so that when you're with another person, which is a much more complex situation where part of your brain might be tuned in to what's happening in your body, but part of your brain is also tuned in to what's going on for your partner. And so Mm -hmm. with your attention split like that, it's actually more difficult to focus on pleasure and let your body have an orgasm. So it's great if you've already got the groundwork laid, so to speak, for knowing like what the path is to get to orgasm in your body, then you can teach your partner how to follow that path. Okay. Uh, And I got asked almost exactly the same question by a therapist in a training five years later. Was this a sex therapist? No, 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 no. So this is, this is like marriage and family therapist, couples therapist. Like it makes you feel slightly better, but like you do worry. Right. Are there other things that you remember consuming in the 90s? I think you mentioned the X-Files. Oh, yeah. So probably one of the very best episodes of the X-Files is Small Potatoes, which is an episode about a shapeshifter. Sunday on an all-new X-Files. How do you find someone? We're looking for a man who can appear to be his own father or anyone else. Who can transform himself. Is everything okay? Into anyone. Who these days would be called an incel? Okay. Uh, except that he was not celibate because he would shape shift into the forms of more attractive men who had partners. And he would have sex with them, the women, and he got found out because they were having babies with tails. <laughs> now, this is actually, on reflection, a story of a serial rapist, and it is treated as comedy. Right. I mean, it's a farce. Right, right, right. In the 90s, when I watched it, I just I all I all I focused on was the comedy because that is how they framed it. And in retrospect, (laughs) uh, (laughs) like actually violent sexual perpetrator. Yikes. Right, right. I mean, there's so many examples of that. Right. Like if you look back, we just did an episode on Dawson's Creek, which I have never seen. I mean, is it terrible? What happened? more power to you? <laughs> like it wasn't great then. It's not great on rewatch. So I know there are a lot of fans and I did watch it. But there's this one storyline where Pacey, who is the off lead character, he's the best friend of Dawson, who the show is named after, begins a relationship with and loses his virginity to his English teacher. And oh, know, right, she's yeah. a grown woman and it's just portrayed as super hot. And I remember as a teenager being like, oh, I want to see what happens with this relationship. Like, that's so hot. And obviously, in retrospect, that was a statutory rape. <laughs> right. So many portrayals like that. But I was even thinking back to just like basic things that I internalized in high school that it took me years to realize were not true. So I just learned, I think, in the last six months from Twitter, thanks Twitter, I guess, that blue balls are not real. When did you just learn this? Like five seconds ago. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I okay, married to a man let's... and he was like, babe, like, yeah, of course they're not real. Like, it's so he And I was like, uh, wait, what? I, I would be interested if you could find out where you learned it, because I don't remember where I learned of it either. I mean, maybe just like people talking about it or like being in sexual contexts where you... <sighs> But I don't even think some a guy would have said it. I think it was like, oh, we all knew that like it was going to be so, so painful for a man 
if you somehow aroused them and then didn't finish it. Right. Yeah. So again, I had the good fortune of being trained as a sex educator even before I started being sexual myself. And Mm -hmm. I explicitly remember being told that like some guys will try to use this narrative of blue balls as justification for trying to persuade a partner. No, they have to continue doing a thing or else harm will come to them. And so like the deal is no. Can it be uncomfortable to be aroused for a very long time and not have an orgasm? Yeah, there's a reason why those Viagra commercials say if your erection lasts more than four hours, seek medical help (laughs) because it it can be really uncomfortable. Nothing bad happens to you. There's nothing dangerous about it. It's a little bit like getting a Charlie horse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's, it's not real comfortable, but the underlying narrative behind it is that boys have a sexual imperative, a need. And because it's a biological need, they are entitled to have that need met or else something bad could happen to them. This is a narrative that has been in place for a very long time. If you go back and read sex manuals from the late 1800s, the late 19th century, you'll begin to see the split between the people who say men have a biological need for sexual release. And they use that as an argument in favor of legalizing prostitution, as a matter of fact, Mm -hmm. in order to spare all these men's wives having to have all the sex that men need or else. And then you have on the other side, right at the turn of the century, you begin to hear from sex educators who were like, it is not a biological need. Nothing bad happens to men if they don't have any sort of sexual release. Men just need to learn how to control themselves. And they use it as an argument in favor of abstinence only until marriage. Right, 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 right. And you do kind of look back and wish that like either side could have found something better to do with their time. So biologically, it is not a need. I don't think that that's an argument in favor of abstinence only before marriage. <laughs> yeah. So if you've read Girls by Peggy Orenstein, her book Girls and her book Boys are both draw-dropping. Girls and sex. Girls and sex and boys and sex. Thank you very much. One story that I remember from Girls is from a teenager that she interviewed who said, this guy came over to my house and we were making out and that was sort of all I wanted to do, but he wanted to have sex. And so like I gave him a blowjob so that he would leave my house. Yeah. And on the one hand, like hooray for survival strategies. Hooray for finding a way out of that situation where she was not putting herself in the path of physical harm, which is a potential thing. Did she feel in danger were she to leave or did she... She felt like she had no other way to get him to leave the house. She wanted him to go. He kept saying, no, I wasn't going to go. He wanted to have sex. Oh, come on. All that stuff. Like the only way to get him out of the house was to give him something. But on the other hand, like that's that's like deeply not okay. And none of us would want a daughter of our own to be in that situation. I mean, that reminds me of another lesson that I think I learned and internalized as a teenager, which was no, does not mean no, no means convince me. (laughs) And the number of times that played out. And, and I think, you know, I think that that was very prominent in like teen films at that time. Like even in super bad, I think the guys there are talking about, you know, if you, if you get her drunk enough, she'll, she'll say yes. But another one of those 
lessons. I guess I'm curious how much of your work is almost about re-education, like re-educating us on how things actually work after years and years and years of being misinformed. 98.9% <laughs> of my work is simply like, that thing you learned before, that's not true. I understand why you believed it. It was the thing you were taught. And why wouldn't you believe the thing that you were taught? So some of the things are about facts, like blue balls. That's just like a biological reality is right. that no tissue damage occurs to a human in the absence of sexual release, right? Like, that's just a fact. When it comes to things like no means no. Yeah. Not, and uh, if you if you have sex with someone who's drunk, that's sexual assault. That's like a cultural relearning where you're shifting people's norms, even people's morals in their understanding of what it means to be a sexual person, how to be a good sexual partner. And ultimately, it's deconstructing this gender binary. Right. Like rejecting the whole idea that like men have one sexual script and women have another sexual script, and those are the only sexual scripts that exist, and you have to follow the one that you've been given. And there is a complexity here, because on the one hand, no means no, and having sex with a drug person is assault. And because the script for girls is that you're not allowed to initiate, even though you're supposed to really enjoy sex, and you're supposed to have a great time when you have sex, and you're supposed to be a sexual person who is good at the sex, you also are supposed to not want sex. You're not supposed to initiate sex and you are not supposed to say mm -hmm. yes, because wanting it and liking it are not very feminine. Mm -hmm. We have both of these competing scripts simultaneously. And so for a long time, girls in real life who are exploring their sexuality, trying to find out what it is they want in life, didn't feel cultural permission to go ahead and say yes to the things that they wanted and liked. Right. And so maybe they would say no and do things that they wanted to do, but they were saying the no they felt they were supposed to say. Like, I think there has been a complexity and a grayness. Like, there's been controversy over the Christmas song, it, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Baby, It's Cold Outside, yeah. Yeah, where, like, she's saying no, but she's saying no because she feels like she's not allowed to say yes and she actually, like, really wants to say yes. Yeah, yeah. Wait, what are the lyrics? I really can't stay. It's cold outside. I gotta go away. It's cold outside. This evening has been so very nice and warm. I well, ought to say no, no. You mind if I move in closer? At least I'm gonna say that I try. But it's cold outside. She sings it too, but it's cold outside. Yeah. So I, there's ambiguity. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. 
When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. You're describing cultural scripts, which, of course, are an important part of this. But it's almost as if the more factual things you're discussing, the things that we learned in the wrong way, get talked about less. Yes. In reading your book, Come As You Are, I was so struck by how many basic facts I was learning for the first time or relearning for the first time. And so while you think that those would be easy things to reteach or correct, it's almost as if we're talking about, you know, the patriarchy and cultural scripts and what consent means much more often than we're talking about these literal facts. <laughs> yes. Literal, actual, just biological facts about the lack of correlation between how your genitals are behaving and how you personally feel. Are there a few basic facts that I should have you debunk for us right here oh. while we have you. Like, what are the most caught? What are the things we need to know? Can we start with virginity since we were talking about American Pie? Please. Virginity is not. It's not a biological thing, biological fact of any kind. It cannot be like, what the heck? What what the heck is virginity? The idea of the cherry. And in biological terms, the hymen. The hymen is a fold of tissue. It is like all of our tissues, if it gets damaged, it heals. A hymen can be stretched, but there are people who have given birth who have intact hymens. My husband laughingly calls it a freshness seal. Mm. <laughs> like just that whole thing, all of it derives from several hundred years ago, medieval biologists, mm. me medical practitioners, looking at a fold of skin sort of over the mouth of the vagina and deciding because they live in a culture where a woman's body is literally a man's property and her lack of having had a penis in her vagina yet matters insofar as 
a man wants his property to be in good condition. Mm. He wants not to invest his resources in raising someone else's offspring. And like, you never can fully get control over a woman's sexuality, but like, at least that fold of skin is some assurance that that vagina is fresh, right? It's all biological nonsense because you can't tell based on the presence or absence of a hymen whether or not anybody has ever had anything put into their vagina before. Okay, so that's virginity. Yeah. What's another common one? Blue balls, of course, would definitely go on the list of like, this is is not a thing. Attached to it, the idea of sex as a biological drive. Like hunger is a drive. If you don't have adequate energy intake, you can literally die. Thirst, biological drive. If you have inadequate balance of water and sodium, you can literally die. Sleep is a drive. If you do not get adequate sleep, you can literally die. Sex is not one of those. Sex is an incentive motivation system. And no, I'm not under a delusion that we're all going to stop saying the simple and easy sex drive and start saying sexual incentive motivation system. But if we could all just get real clear that we do not mean that sex is a biological need without which anybody will die, that would be super good. Is there one sex myth that if you could just do one thing and eradicate it, can I choose a cluster of myths around sure. uh, what I'm going to colloquially call women's orgasm? Please. So the research, here's my gender caveat. Virtually all the research on women's orgasms is done on cisgender women. So mm-hmm. I see no reason why all of this doesn't apply to anyone who's a woman. Mm-hmm. But know that the research is talking about cisgender women. That's the caveat. Yep. First of all, as I said, only about... 10-ish percent of women who masturbate do so with any kind of vaginal penetration. That's been shown in study after study after study for the last 50 years. Only a quarter to like maybe a third of women are reliably orgasmic from vaginal penetration alone, or as it's called in the research, unassisted intercourse. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite technical terms. The remaining two-thirds to three-quarters are sometimes rarely or never orgasmic from vaginal stimulation alone. And the only reason why I still get asked, like, how do I have an orgasm during sex is the Mm -hmm. way people say it. They mean during penile vaginal intercourse. How come I'm not having them? The reason you're not having them is because approximately two thirds to three quarters of people with vaginas, that's not a very good way for them to get the kind of stimulation they need to get to orgasm because the vagina is pretty far away from the clitoris, which is for most people, not all, but for most people, the most efficient path to getting to orgasm. And the only reason people still care about this is because I think of frickin' frackin' Freud, who, <laughs> whose influence on psychotherapy will not die, <laughs> saying that clitoral orgasms are immature and vaginal mm, orgasms right. are mature. That is an extremely convenient line for the patriarchy and the misogyny and a world in which Uh, men would really benefit from women being orgasmic from the kind of behavior by which heterosexual men are very reliably orgasmic. It's so interesting, though, because, okay, for people who haven't studied Freud, these myths persist. Like, why do they, I mean, besides the patriarchy, why do they persist? Sex is a big deal. And women's bodies in the world of the gender binary have to be controlled because a whole lot of the genetic destiny of our species happens inside of uteruses. 
And so we have to control the uteruses, which means we have to control the women, which means not only making laws about it, but having cultural narratives about right and wrong, about beautiful and ugly, about disgusting and perfect that train us all to be good from very young, to be good at being the right kind of sexual person. And what about the role of pop culture to perpetuate or to teach us healthy sexual habits? Yeah, because pop culture is so powerful, because these narratives form our framework for understanding how our own sexuality works. And I say that as someone who, even though I have like all this education and all this experience, I still find myself falling into the same self-critical traps of comparing my sexuality to other people's sexuality or to like the cultural narrative of how sexuality works. Like now as a perimenopausal 40-something lady married to somebody, when my sexual desire isn't like when the spark isn't still alive in my marriage, I think, oh, no, there's something terribly wrong. And like I wrote a whole book about how, oh, no, nothing is terribly wrong. Like I know exactly how to fix it. And I still my first response is still to panic that I'm doing it wrong, that I'm broken, that I'm an inadequate wife. So I think it clearly is very powerful. It embeds narratives in our head of how sex is supposed to work and only by having an enormously diverse range of stories, only by having a whole lot of different narratives about ways that you can be sexual and do sex right, do we get a liberating pop culture narrative is when there's dozens of them. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I like had a lot of feelings and then words <laughs> happened. And I don't know that any of them formed sentences. No, that's amazing. But I really meant it. <laughs> Is there anything out there you think does it well? Uh, of mainstream pop culture? I would be really interested to hear from listeners. Like, what have you seen that you feel like does a good job of representing sexuality in a way where it shows a world that you would want your kids to grow up in or that you wish you had grown up in? One of the episodes in the podcast that I made with Pushkin was on Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. They picked it because it's one of the few shows that I watch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I feel like that show did a pretty darn good job with sexuality. I feel like it was extremely silly in its relationships. But the sexual relationships, such the, the little bit that they showed, were pretty great, actually. Like the communication was on point. The equality of different people to be able to initiate sex and say no to sex was really good. But there just wasn't a lot of sex in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's actually a perfect place to end it with the call out to our listeners posed by you. Yeah, so I can know like when somebody asks me, but what can I watch that's good? Then I'll right. be able to be like, here's a list. Before I let you go, could you say a few words about the new book? Oh, sure. It's called Come Together. I was very proud when I thought of that title because it is about <laughs> how couples sustain a sexual connection over the long term, couples of all combinations and all structures, whether they're monogamous or not, it comes from the fact that writing and promoting Come As You Are diminished my interest in sex to less than zero. And when I got done with that project, which I mean, you'd think writing and thinking and talking <laughs> about sex all the time might make it easier. Turns out, no, I had zero interest for like months at a time. So 
when that was over, I started looking at the research, of course, because that's what I do, mm -hmm. on how couples do sustain a strong sexual connection over the long term. And what I learned changed my own sex life, and I wrote a book about it to help other people in a similar situation. This is In Retrospect. Thanks for listening. Is there a pop culture moment you can't stop thinking about and want us to explore in a future episode? Email us at inretropod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at inretropod. If you love this podcast, please rate and review us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen. If you hate it, you can post nasty comments on our Instagram, which we may or may not delete. You can also find us on Instagram at Jessica Bennett and at SusieBNYC. Also check out Jessica's books, Feminist Fight Club and This Is 18. In Retrospect is a production of iHeart Podcasts and The Meteor. Lauren Hansen is our supervising producer. Derek Clements is our engineer and sound designer. Emily Marinoff is our producer. Sharon Atiyah is our researcher and associate producer. Our executive producer from The Meteor is Cindy Levy. Our executive producers from iHeart are Anna Stumpf and Katrina Norvell. Our artwork is from Pentagram. Additional editing help from Mary Dew. Sound correction and mastering by Amanda Rose Smith. We are your hosts. Susie Banakaram and Jessica Bennett. We're also executive producers. For even more, check out inretropod.com. See you next week. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Take a pause from your to-do list with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.